Welcome to the Gresham's Leadership Podcast. My name is Anne and I'll be your host. Today we will be talking to Jürgen von Holm, who is the CEO of Universal Robots. Mr. von Holm, thank you very much for being with us today. Could you start by telling us about Universal Robots? Sure, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I think Universal Robots is a company founded about 15 years, a little bit over 15 years ago in Denmark, in the city of Unze, which is the uh, second largest city in, um, in Denmark. And it's really um, a company that was founded on kind of redefining or disrupting what was considered traditional robots and, and the industry around that. So they invented a new product category called collaborative robots, um, which basically is defined as making something that's safe and, and easy to use. So where traditional robots were always very complex and difficult to use, the idea of co collaborative robots um, is really to do the opposite. Um, that's one thing. And the second thing is to actually make um, robots um, also to be, you know, to be used by small and medium companies, which is kind of unique. In the, in the past, uh, traditional robots were really only for the larger companies who had the money, the resources, and the capability to deploy robots. And, and so Universal Robots has really been focusing on the small, medium size of customer segments. And what is your role as president? Well, the role as president at, at Universal Robots is, of course, to lead the company, to be um, managing all areas of the company. Um, you know, I think it probably has transitioned, so the role changes as the company matures over the last, you know, four and a half years. In the beginning, we were doing you know, $50 million of turnover, um, had about 150 staff. Um, today, we're over 750 people, um, and you know, the uh, turnover is, is quadrupled. So I think from that perspective, um, the role as the president and the way I interact with the company, of course, is very different today as it was four and a half years ago. So and what does being president in your daily operational work mean? Yeah, so, you know, I think really it's the full responsibility from sales, marketing, all the way through to research and development, to the operations. And I think at different parts of the, you know, maturity and scaling of the company, it's much more driven by either the technology side of the company, so research and development, or um, for us, for, the, for many of the last, you know, three years, it's been focused heavily on the sales and marketing of the company. So really looking at the strategy, then looking at how do you implement it and how do you scale it quickly to, to grow the company. So it's really the full responsibility and that's what makes you know, being president kind of exciting because you have all parts of the business that allows you to be able to understand but also influence it as it goes along and grows. You were born and brought up in South Africa and went to university in Canada. How did you become a CEO of a robotics firm in Denmark? Well, there's unfortunately no, uh, or fortunately, no real plan to that. It kind of happens to you while you're kind of, um, you know, developing your career. So, I, you know, I, I've been in, probably what happens, I think, over time is that you become competent or you find your own sweet spot of where you can add the most value. And that happens over time. So I did start in large companies, uh, very large companies like Daimler-Benz, Aerospace, uh, Deutsche Telekom, um, T-Systems, so very large companies. And somewhere, which goes back about <clears throat> 10 years ago or, or more, I I've, you know, had the opportunity to join a smaller company. 
And I think in that, it was the opportunity where I really saw the ability to influence, but perhaps the biggest uh, point is to take accountability for my own ideas and implement them. And I think that is very, very different to being working in a large company. So for me, that was kind of what, what attracted me to this. And then while I was, um, you know, uh, going through my career, I was approached by a recruiter for this company, Universal Robots, about, um, you know, four and a half, five years ago. And um, I had never heard of the company. So for me, it was completely uh, out of the blue. And um, after looking at it, I then got interested in it because it really had all those, what I would consider enticing parts of the role, which is the challenge of being the first, growing the company fast, scaling things, um, and there was nothing standard about it. So that's kind of, for me personally, what uh, attracts me to a role. And that's uh, Universal Robots has probably been the most exciting and difficult, uh, you know, four and a half years for me so far. So I have seen that you were ranked in the top 100 leaders in Europe this year. Why do you think you were nominated? Well, I think, first of all, I was surprised by the nomination and, uh, of course, um, honored. Um, but I also think the real part of this is, I think, from a, being a transformer, you know, in, in this list is that you've kind of changed uh, something in the market from a traditional market that you've disrupted something. So that innovation, I think, is what is driving that nomination. But I also think, you know, Universal Robots, we haven't only created a new technology um, but we've actually created a whole new business model and ecosystem. So, you know, although we're still a relatively, you know, small company, uh, in our ecosystem we have over, you know, 1,500 companies globally that are working with Universal Robots, uh, selling, um, integrating, or basically developing on top of the UR platform. So, I think from a, you know, being a transformer, it means we're changing things. And and what the nomination or the validation gives is that. You know, as a company, Universal Robots, we've, we've actually been able to change the world with our technology. And I think that's the recognition we're getting now is that, you know, it's no longer a, a good, just a good idea. It's actually a market out there. And we see that with also the, um, all the other competitors out there are now entering. So, you know, I think four years ago, we had about four competitors. Today, there's over 50, you know, different companies trying to enter the market. So that gives us validation about that, too. You studied international business and politics, and sometime after that, for an MBA. I've heard some CEOs saying that studying business is a waste of time, and that it is better starting straight off working in a business. Would you agree with that? Well, I, I, I think there's no magic um, kind of recipe uh, for determining what a, a good leader is or what's good or bad. I think it's it's first very very individual, but I think you know. My path was, yes, I did an MBA, but I did the MBA part-time while working. Um, and I think that was helpful because I think if you have an initial, after doing your university degree, I think it is helpful to understand business and to be out there, to have that experience. I think um, doing the MBA after that first three, four or five years is helpful because I think it just allows you to probably apply the theory much more clearly and easily. Um, but saying that, I think, you know, the, the role of, of a CEO at the end of the day, you know, the majority of the time is spent with individuals and people. So it's the interpersonal skills, it's managing people at the end, 
is what you do most of the time. So the strategic analysis and let's say the theoretical pieces are, uh, you know, you can study those, but I think how to apply them and how to actually uh, deploy them in a business is so, um, it requires a lot of, you know, soft skills that I don't think you learn necessarily in an MBA program or anywhere else. So I think it's, it is time um, and it, it is also, you know, a personality type. I, you know, I think there's people that, that would be great leaders and then I see people where I think that would be more difficult because they're either too introverted or too extroverted or so, so that it's, it's really depends and it also depends, you know, for me on where the business is scaling, what size is it? If it's a smaller startup, then it's, you know, having a lot of theoretical uh, MBA theories is not going to help you a lot because it's really about execution and driving and focus. And, and, and in fact, you know, I, I think it becomes uh, more of a problem because what we learn in MBA is to actually how to mitigate risk and avoid risk. Um, that's kind of the contrary of a startup, which is all about risk, right? So finding the balance is important. And I think, you know, where you play is kind of important. You know, so for me, if I look at my history, I don't think you could ever have guessed that I'd be the CEO of a robots company. So. I don't think there's a, like I said, a magic recipe or, you know, a step-by-step -step guide to becoming it. I think it's something that happens to you while you're developing yourself. So what would you consider as your typical day while being a CEO? Well, I don't think there is a typical day. Um, I think, you know, because of the business growing and it's so broad, that um, and we're still on the stage from we're, we're, as a company, Universal Robots is still in many ways entrepreneurial. So we really, as a CEO, you're, you're working at the detail level, still understanding what's going on. So you know, and and we are always trying to um, adjust the strategy because one of our what we believe competitive advantages is speed, right? So if speed is there, decision has have to happen very very fast, and and so. That means the schedule that we have today is it could change completely tomorrow, and that's kind of how we go. So it really, you know, I, I start the week with a, a management meeting with my team, um, trying to understand what the, the priorities of the week are, and then we have a standard management system schedule where we actually talk about, you know, what's um, and whether it's uh, human resource issues or it's um, sales and marketing, and and so I, I would say that over the last four years. Um, I'm, I'm becoming more and more strategic in my activities versus the first years where I was very operational, traveling to customers, being involved at the front, um, working with the R&D team. That has changed significantly when, you know, with, with 750 staff, one of the key parts of leadership is letting go and, and knowing how to delegate. So that's kind of what I would say is, is my daily thing is it's become much, much more about um, the strategic uh, level and oversight of the company. And what is the biggest challenge you have faced as a CEO so far? You know, I think the challenges um, for the CEO are, are, again, always dependent upon many different things. You can have um, sort of environmental things that are happening to the company. So whether there's a recession or a competitive situation going on. Um, those are challenges that, that I think, you know, the ones that you can understand where, where it's competitive is, is kind of daily businesses, you know, business activities. So I think 
the parts that the ones that are the difficult ones are the ones that surprise you. And I think, um, and that's kind of the part you as a CEO try to kind of forecast and, and, and become proactive in, in ensuring you don't have that many surprises. So, you know, I think recessions are one of those things. Um, I, I know in my career, I've had that in a few times where the markets very quickly turn downwards and then you have to deal with um, optimizing the, the business, so re reducing headcount uh, staff. Um, and that's a difficult thing because you really have to find a balance for maintaining business continuity, but doing the right thing for the people. So I think this is always probably the, um, you know, for me, the, one of the most difficult things is trying to find the, the optimum, the balance, and it's, it's different at different times. Um, so I would say that's always the challenge. The actual running the business is challenging, but it's not the biggest challenge. So during COVID, these challenges have probably changed. And how do you run a company like Universal Robots during COVID? Yeah, so in talking about the biggest challenges, I would say that for probably most CEOs over the last 10, 15 years, if not longer, that COVID probably represents our biggest challenge. Uh, as you know, you know, every leader, I don't think none of us could have forecasted such an impact um, and, and a change in the markets globally. So I think from that perspective, you know, it's by far the biggest challenge that we've seen or I've seen. And I think, you know, what we've done is, first of all, we were lucky in the sense because we, we saw the impact relatively early in, in when, when COVID hit China. And because we have a relatively large organization in China, we, we saw that there was something happening in the market. And what we relatively quickly did was look at our supply chain activities because basically the ability to deliver our, our cobots, the collaborative robots, are that we, we bring components from all parts of the world together and assemble them in Denmark. So with the borders starting to close, we were able to um, just be able to you know, secure all our supply chains, make them strong enough that we have enough inventory to continue operating the business. So from a you know, technical perspective, we were getting all our components in place and that worked um, very well. I think the other part was people. And I think, you know, so what we did is we went probably earlier than most companies into a, um, you know, working from home policy. So we, you know, about 75 to 80% of our staff are still today um, in a working from home and only 20% are actually working in the offices in a shift pattern. So we minimize any risk of contamination. So. You know, for me, the two priorities was safety of our staff and the second one was business continuity. Those two are the most important things for me right now. And, and just this week, again, with the increase in infections, we've actually gone back because we had, you know, opened up a little bit more. We allowed 30% staff on site to 40%. And uh, this week, I've actually reduced it back to the 20% on site. And, and, you know, I think what we've shown ourselves over the, this whole period, so the, is our ability to work remotely. And I think that was the positive. The other thing what COVID has done, it has shown that we have the ability to adapt the complete business strategy of the company to digital. So all our lead generation activities, marketing, which was used to be very heavy on events, conferences, exhibitions, has basically gone down to zero. And we do 99% of our activities now digitally online. 
And I think that's a, a real positive. So from a, you know, the, the biggest challenge, I think we've done it really well. Yes, we'll be impacted from a, a sales perspective, but we have not let any staff go because we see this as a short-term thing. So our expectation is that at the end of uh, June next year, we'll see the market picking up again. And from your experience now during COVID, what would you say are the most important actions to take in such a crisis? So I think, you know, the first thing is you've got to get in, um, on top of things quickly. So I think, you know, we, um, of course, we do scenario planning and we, we had, you know, crisis situation, but I don't think any company in the world expected this kind of crisis and this impact. Um, so I think one of the things that I would look at, first of all, going forward is the actions I'm taking are to do much more scenario planning about what could happen to us as a company, what could affect business continuity. Then to also, and I think this is happening for many, many CEOs of, uh, and leaders, is looking at your complete supply chain of the business to make sure that no matter what happens, that as, as a business, you can continue through any potential crisis. So I think business continuity plans, I think will be more robust going forward. But I do believe in times of crisis, that a leader of a business has to be much more present in front of all the staff, despite them being at home, right? So in this crisis, we had to move towards, you know, doing virtual town halls. I did um, basically weekly communications to staff. We implemented uh, fireside chats because people are very decentralized. So they have no contact with other employees or the business. So it's really the role of a leader in the management team to be involved um, and actively engage staff to, to make sure. So we also, for example, did an engagement survey with our staff to make sure that they're on track, they feel good. We did pulse surveys on a bi-weekly basis at the beginning of COVID to make sure, are you feeling okay? Is there anything we can do to help? Because people, you know, some deal with the situation very well and some don't. And we are there, we have to support those that don't. So, you know, I think it's, it's, um, it's important as a leader to, to really almost overdo or you can't really overdo communication and I think uh, opening that up is uh, probably been the most important thing from that perspective and then from a business continuity perspective it's just in staying in touch with customers is important right and, and your partners um, because I, they're, everybody's in the same predicament and many of our partners and suppliers are, are smaller than us and very dependent upon us so they're looking for guidance also from from myself and, and having the chance to talk and get kind of some kind of confirmation or comfort about the direction we're going. So I think it's for the, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, there are these, you know, business continuity, supply chain things and actions that one has to take. But I do think as a leader that you have to be open and aggressive in the communication with all parties that are in your ecosystem, including staff and customers. And as our last question, what advice would you give to a young person wanting to start out on the path to a CEO position today? Well, you know, I think, um, like I said before, I think, I think there, the ability to be a good CEO um, requires a whole bunch of attributes, right? So I think one thing is your, your personality type almost has to be open for that kind of, you know, lifestyle because it is very... Um, full on, it's, it's 24 seven, 
Um, and, and so, you know, in, in the last four and a half years, as an example, I, was, I spent probably 80, 90% of my time traveling. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that I think it's always nice to see the good parts of it, but the, the, let's say the, the, the other part, the balance part, if you look at the whole thing, there, it's a lot of commitment and investment into the role. And I think you, you must be clear about that because it's, it, it, it is required, I think, to really be able to, um, to, to do the role. But I think beyond that, I think if you are, do things that you believe in and you um, feel positive about it and it, you know, they're fun to do, then typically what happens is you're, you, pr you probably excel in every role you do. And I think that's the, the most important part is that having fun as you go along makes it not work, feel like work. It feels like it's fun. And, and that's how I see the last four and a half years, right? Because, you know, although it was so full on and, and so challenging, it was so much fun. And I think if, if, it, if it is that, it kind of helps you to kind of move along. And I think that just produces success. And I think when you're successful, you get more experience and you get a chance to do other things. So I think, you know, it also depends what kind of CEO, CEO you want to be. I, I always wanted to be in this challenging positions. Um, so for me, it was always about identifying my next opportunity that would help me in my career and getting more experience in a certain area. So for me, it doesn't make a real difference about the industry. It's more about the challenge. and. Uh, the ability to grow something very, very quickly, to lead people. Um, and I think that's probably the last part that you have to be very clear about. You, as a CEO, basically, you are always dealing with people. And it's not the people that have to adapt, it's, it's you that has to adapt to the people. And to, if you can do that, I think, and if you feel comfortable talking and socializing with people, then that's a, a key requirement. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and insights with us today. I'm sure it's been very inspirational for all of our listeners and for me certainly too. Thank you very much for having me and um, wish you all the luck. I am now joined by Dr. Richardson, who is going to ask me a few questions. Perfect, Dan. That was a wonderful interview and a fascinating, fascinating man. Um, I just wondered what your main takeaway was from the interview. Well, there are two main points, really, that stood out to me. The first one is that there's no single recipe for becoming a CEO. You just need to want it and be suited for it. And the second one would be that the role changes all the time, not only between like different companies, but also at different points of a company's life circle. And the only thing that really stays the same is that the end of the day at the end of the day it always entails understanding and motivating people yeah and i think that's a really nice point with the flexibility i mean it seems that he's done an incredible job changing his own role as the company has grown so fast like what are your thoughts on this yeah this is actually one of the main things that struck me from the interview obviously as the company grew i think it was from about 150 to 750 employees his role as a CEO changed considerably and will probably continue to change even more. And yeah, as the business itself is a disruptive one and therefore requires not only adapting to change, but I guess even leading into it. And then we obviously have the challenge of the coronavirus, which again changes everything. Yeah, it must be an incredible experience for him and it probably makes him much sought after because he could probably do the same thing with another company. So tell me, Anne, is this, is this a role or an industry you think you might like to get involved in in the future? 
I mean, although I definitely find robots very interesting, I'm more interested in, I guess, managing and the business side of companies. And if that takes me to robotics, I will be more than happy, but I'm not planning on it at the moment. I mean, as he said, even though he found doing like his job with a robotics firm amazing, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter too much on which company you go to. Right, because I think a lot of the principles, I guess, would remain the same, wouldn't they? Yes. Very good. Well, listen, that's wonderful. Thank you very much, Anne. Yeah, thank you. This has been the Gresham's Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening.